3: I'm listening is Odyssey's commitment to mental health conversations. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, depression, anxiety, or mental illness, help is available. Call or text 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. That's 988.
2: It's 7.06 here at News Radio 1080 KRLD. I'm David Rankin. As you heard on KRLD and seen by the in depth reporting in the Dallas Morning News, fentanyl has a deadly grip on North Texas. Tonight, we present to you a community discussion that we held here in our News Radio 1080 KRLD showroom. From our partners at the Dallas Morning News, you need to know about this deadly fake, especially if you have school-age kids or teens or college students. Now, before a studio audience, here's deadly fake inside fentanyl's
4: grip on North Texas. Thank you for joining us, everyone. I'm Ron Corning. I want you to take a look at these images. These are the faces of the fentanyl crisis. Their stories are part of a Dallas Morning News series, Deadly Fake. 30 days inside fentanyl's grip on North Texas. The remarkable journalists from the Dallas Morning News are here to provide insights, share a family's mission, and look at how North Texas can confront this issue. And as we explain who is most susceptible and how, you might be surprised to learn how vulnerable any one of us might be. Your questions are also welcome as we navigate this important discussion. A special thanks to our audience here at the News Radio 1080 KRLD showroom in Dallas. And now here is the executive editor of the Dallas Morning News, Catrice Hardy.
1: Ron, thank you so much for hosting us tonight and partnering with us to draw more attention to this crisis. You couldn't have stated the issue more eloquently. Fentanyl is the deadliest drug ever created to date. It is linked to more fatalities of Americans under 50 than any other cause of death, including heart disease, cancer, and suicide. It's 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times more potent than morphine. And it takes a tiny amount, the equivalent of 10 to 15 grains of table salt, to kill. The deadly drug has killed thousands of people across our state, and many who had no idea the drug they thought they were buying to stay awake or to calm their anxieties were laced with it. Every single one of them, our friends, our neighbors, our family members are the reason why we have spent months spotlighting what has become a community crisis. It's a crisis for our schools, our health care system, our public safety officials, and even our churches. And while it is so incredibly important to dissect and inspect and investigate this problem, it was far more critical to offer solutions and resources to help. I'd like to welcome each of you here today to hear more about the series and the devastation of this drug. Before I do, I'd like to thank Grant Moise, the CEO of Dallas News Corporation and publisher of Dallas Morning News, for always championing and encouraging us to always serve our community first with every story we pursue. I'd like to thank every family who so bravely and selflessly shared their heartrending and tragic stories with us. And of course, I'd like to thank staff writers Maggie Prosser, Sharon Grigsby, and Claire Baylor, along with photojournalist Tom Fox, who poured countless hours into this work for one reason to save lives. I'm so glad you've joined us tonight in the hopes that we together can save more. Here's more insight into what's at stake and into how and why we publish this series. From our schools to our churches, to our workplaces, to our healthcare facilities, to our law enforcement agencies, not a day has gone by in quite some time that just about every single government agency or industry we rely on hasn't been faced with a fentanyl crisis.
5: Right now, it's pretty ugly. I mean, it's just, everything that is coming in is, I mean, 60% of it's laced with fentanyl. That's a lot. (laughs) That means these kids have a 60% chance of dying Mm -hmm. from a street drug and they don't understand. They're buying Percocet or they're buying Xanax. They think they're coming out of a medicine cabinet and they're not.
6: Fentanyl does not only affect one kind of person or one kind of place. It really is happening everywhere, and it's happening in all of our schools.
5: You know, it's an incredibly addictive drug, Uh, and I had kids sitting there in the nurse's office crying about,
3: I just need, I need it. I need it, I need it.
7: My hope is that people read this series and come away from it knowing how to protect themselves and their loved ones from fentanyl. And I also hope this project challenges some of the stigma around drugs and people's perception of addiction.
5: If every person who reads even one piece in our Deadly Fake Project will talk to everybody they cross paths with, especially young people, about the reality of any pill actually being deadly fentanyl in disguise, that will mean that our project was successful. And now let's begin our discussion.
1: Ron, thank you again, and I'll turn the evening back over to you.
4: Catrice, thank you. I want all of you now to meet Peter and Lael Brodsky. Their son Jacob is one of more than 1,000 fentanyl victims in just the last two years in North Texas. At just 21 years old, Jacob died from a single fentanyl pill disguised as a Percocet. Peter and Lale have an impressive track record of seeking social justice for the most vulnerable among us for a very long time in DFW. And now Lale has jumped into action, lobbying lawmakers and researching pill presses and other equipment used to stamp and disguise fentanyl as prescription drugs. The Brodsky's told reporter Sharon Grigsby that sharing their story as part of the deadly fake project and appearing here is a last reluctant try. Maybe Lale says someone will finally listen. Well, we are here to do just that. Listen. Here is Sharon Grigsby with the Brodsky's. Sharon.
5: Thank you, Ron, and thank you, Lael, thank you, Peter. I'd like to start with y'all sharing what you're comfortable about Jacob and about the circumstances that led to his
8: death. Uh, Well, Jacob was um, a very sweet, um, very sweet boy uh, who was incredibly anxious. Uh, for a lot of his life, uh, really, really struggled with anxiety, um, and it it caused him a lot of a lot of issues. Um, but despite all that, he was um, a, had a ton of great friends. He was very, very close with his brother and sister, um, and uh, and he really overcame a lot um he had been in the Army when he got out of the Army he was enrolled at St Edwards University in Austin and at the time that he died he had recently had his wisdom teeth out and because of some of his past experiences in trying to self-medicate his anxiety uh, he did not he chose not to get any painkillers but they did give him prednisone and the prednisone caused him to be sort of manic. Uh, and he went a couple nights where he was unable to sleep. And because he was prone to anxiety, he then began to obsess about the fact that he couldn't sleep. And so when he went back to school uh, in the fall, uh, he he sought Percocet. Uh, he really just wanted to go to sleep. He wasn't It wasn't a a, a recreational thing. He'd been on the phone with his girlfriend. He hung up from his girlfriend. He told her that he wanted to get some sleep. Uh, He had procured this Percocet, you know, illegally, uh, not through a a prescription, as dumb 21-year-olds are wont to do, Uh, and it turned out that the Percocet that he took was was fentanyl. Um, We found out. We didn't hear from him for about a day, his girlfriend didn't hear from him for about a day, and so when uh, she went into his room, she found him there. Uh, he seems to have died instantly, um, and when they they did the autopsy, there was only one substance in his system, and it was fentanyl.
9: Um, I think what's important to know about Jacob is that he was just like any other boy. Um, he. You know, without a fully formed frontal lobe, Um, you know, there may be some boys who couldn't sleep and would take a melatonin or a Tylenol PM, you know, something his sister might have done or his brother might have done. But for whatever stupid reason, he thought it was a better idea to go on um, group me and find a drug dealer who would sell him a Percocet. And that stupid mistake should not have cost him his life. Up until that point, um, you know, to me, fentanyl was a patch my grandma had when she was going through cancer. Um, it was something that people, you know, had an addiction to who had been using heroin. I didn't really know about it being um, the, the, the full contents of a pill. I thought it was something that I thought it was laced. You know, I understood pills that were laced with fentanyl. Um, it wasn't until Jacob's death that I understood about these deadly fakes about them. You know, it's not that there was any Percocet in that pill. It was binding agents, maybe some acetaminophen, maybe some talc and fentanyl. Um, so I really didn't know anything about it. Um, and then, you know, it's just like really anything until it happens to you, you start paying more attention.
5: During one of the interviews we did over the summer, both of you talked about there being two fentanyl crises. And this was a big, you know, sort of a light bulb moment for me. Um, you talked about that one crisis involves people who knowingly use fentanyl and they become addicted to it. Um, and one, especially that affects young people like Jacob, where they're poisoned to death by a substance they didn't even know they were taking. I'd like you to share a little bit more about that with the audience because I think that's a lot of confusion about fentanyl and the hardcore addict that you immediately comes to mind when we talk about drug addiction and drug deaths.
8: So it's it's really exactly as you described it and and there's no value judgment in the distinction, but they are very, very different problems. Um, One is a problem that you have to uh, treat with, um, you know, with rehab. Um, You've got to get at the supply chain, you know, and you've got to deal with the demand side uh, in in addition to the fact uh, that, that fentanyl has become so prevalent. The other is an entirely different, issue because you're not necessarily dealing with people who are hardcore addicts you're dealing with any anyone who takes a pill that is not prescribed to them Uh, there have been fentanyl deaths from kids borrowing an adhd medication so they could stay up all night to study for an exam and it's fake Uh, there are kids who can't sleep one night like jacob uh, there are kids whose friend hand them a pill, hands them a pill at a party and says, I just took one. This is great. And it turns out that the one the first kid took didn't have a lethal dose of fentanyl in it. And so he may not even know what's in it. And the second one does have a lethal dose of fentanyl. So there's m- much less of a way to protect yourself. Uh, and then there are a lot of foreign policy Implications. There's not really anything that a that a, a local government can do. This is about getting China to stop exporting precursor chemicals and to get Mexico to stop, um, you know, to to to, uh, to stop creating the, these fake pills. So they're two entirely different problems with two entirely different sets of solutions. It happens that they both use the same chemical compound. Uh, but in, in, in different contexts.
9: And one other thing that's important to understand, that's sort of related to this, but what he referenced is, people say to us all the time, it doesn't make any sense that drug dealers would sell pills that would kill you, because that just seems like a very bad business model, that you would sell something that would kill. So, but what I've learned from working with the DEA in Austin is, it doesn't matter, because they're, for you know, the, three kids that died this week in Austin, there are 10 more or 20 more that are gonna be right behind them, buying. And the reason that they die is because there's no recipe that the people that are making these pills um, ha- have. So, you know, they're you know, stirring them up in a pot and doing a little mm-hmm. this, little this. And so the pill that J- uh, Jacob took had a, a lethal dose. The p- pill Peter took had a perfect dose pill I took had nothing in it and it did nothing to me. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, haphazard, um, and, um, that's just the cost of their doing business and it's all built in and that's why it's so dangerous.
8: Yeah. The, the, the margins are so high because a Percocet costs 25 bucks if you're buying it on the street and fentanyl is so potent and so inexpensive. That the margin on that pill, I don't know what it is, but I imagine it's, you know, over ninety percent, um, versus a perco- versus a real Percocet that the drug dealer, you know, has has to go buy, and then resell. It's a much, it's a much less lucrative opportunity for that drug dealer, and that's why it is worth killing off some of your clientele. The the other thing is, just to be clear. It's not like in any batch every single fentanyl pill is going to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sixty percent of the pills out there may be fake, but that doesn't mean that everyone who takes one is going to die. It might be one out of ten, um, and so it really is Russian roulette when you're buying uh, any any drug or you're taking any drug any pill that wasn't prescribed to you. You're really playing playing Russian roulette. The message is this can happen to any. One, this is not a situation where you can think, oh, my kid would never be an addict. Every kid now is exposed to marijuana. Every kid is exposed to, to pills. Uh, they, they are everywhere. It doesn't matter how rich or poor or educated or uneducated or cautious or not cautious. Kids do dumb things. So for me, the message is this is everyone's problem and therefore it needs to be much higher up on the priority list of our, of our government uh, to, to help protect our children from this happening to them.
5: When you talked about Jacob's death as part of the Deadly Fake Project, it was the first time you had discussed it in the media. I'm curious what the reaction has been since that article published. As far as the people you come in contact with in North Texas,
9: it's been amazing. We, I, I've had people stop me in the grocery store. Um, I've had people message me on Facebook. I don't know. Um, I've got. We've gotten letters. I have a kept a, now a file of. Um, I've printed out the emails I've gotten. Um it's been super super positive. I I I clipped somebody wrote a couple of um letters to the editor. Um I saw and I clipped them out. So um it seems from my perspective it did what we wanted it to do. Um I hope. Um because we really really didn't want to make it seem like we were um glorifying his death or talking about it for any kind of publicity for us, but really only to make it so that people really got the word out about how dangerous it was.
5: So at this point, we're going to stop and see if the audience has any questions. So Ron, I'll turn it back over to you.
4: Sharon, thank you. And we do have a question. Kathy, um, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Um, what's your question for the Brodsky's or, or for Sharon Grigsby?
9: So thank you for telling your story. And in all of your um, fight that you have, to the audience that you're speaking to, what would you say that you would recommend someone go and say to a legislator? What's the one or two sentences to email, to call? What are those words? Because some people don't know. So how would you explain to them on what to say to to fight this battle? Um, thanks. I think the most important thing to do th- that we can talk about is getting China to um, to commit to stopping the precursor chemicals from being exported out of the country. Um, that There's a list um, of chemicals, and the way they're getting around that is by if you change one molecule on those list of chemicals, then they're not that chemical anymore. So then they're not on that list anymore. In addition to that, there's know-your-customer laws. And so they're getting around selling those those chemicals, saying that they don't know that they're selling them to drug cartels or they're not selling them to—they thought they were selling them to, you know, legitimate companies. Um, so if they were really following know-your-customer laws, um, then then they would know who they were selling those those chemicals to.
4: And there is an American journalist who just testified on NPR. He was in China— and the amount of precursor chemicals they're producing, it's extraordinary, mm-hmm. especially when you consider the small amount that it takes to, to pack a deadly punch. And really.
9: also, it's actually not just China, it's India as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: yeah. I, I
8: would also just add that if they need motivation, I mean, this is a national security issue. This is no different than if you know China was bombing us. I mean, they are... They are taking actions and allowing, uh, allowing things to occur that result in the deaths of people who are being murdered. They're being killed uh, because they don't know what they're taking.
4: Good point. What's your name, sir? Uh, a- uh, Adolf Alvarez. Please go ahead. All right. First of all, my condolences to the both of y'all. I'm a father that lost his daughter last year um, to fentanyl, and. Uh, so I feel like we're on the front grounds here. You know, we're trying to reach the community. And by doing that, you know, we pass out Narcan and educate them. But at the same time, fentanyl strips are something that I've been, you know, been going for and trying to get that changed here in Texas. So what's, is your opinion as well that we need them here? I mean, I do. As a parent.
8: We're very much in favor of, of, of uh, fentanyl strips because until we get the supply under control uh, you know, we need to arm people with the tools to defend themselves. Peter, and
4: explain what that is for those who don't know. That's that's an so, ant- yeah, antidote. So,
8: so no, no, it's not an antidote at all. It's it's a it's a it's a test so that you can take a pill gotcha. and test whether it is what you think it is or whether it's fentanyl. Uh, the argument against it is, well, you shouldn't have been taking a, a, a you shouldn't have been taking that Percocet in the first place. The question is, are we going to be moralistic about it, and, uh, and as a result, doing something dumb like taking a Percocet is a death sentence, or are we going to arm people with the ability to, if they're, if they're going to make that decision, uh, even if it's a bad decision, it doesn't end their life. So, to me, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Uh, I think if if we if we allowed for test strips and then stopped there, mm-hmm. it's not enough. But but until we've solved the problem, uh, I'm we're both very much in favor of those sorts of of, of uh, harm reduction strategies.
4: That's the conversation that you have with your lawmaker. I'm for this, and here's why. This is not an issue of morality; it's an issue of safety, and that's and that's the conversation you have. And I want to thank all of you. For being here, for asking those questions, for sharing your stories. To the Brodskys, thank you. And to Sharon Grigsby. And as we talk about what we say to our lawmakers, we are joined by a lawmaker here as our discussion continues. Paula Blackman, District 9 City Councilwoman, will join us.
2: You are listening to Deadly Fake, an inside look at fentanyl's grip on North Texas from the Dallas Morning News on News Radio 1080 KRLD.
4: So as our discussion continues, let this sink in. The Texas Department of State Health Services says 83% of unintentional synthetic opioid deaths in 2019 were caused by fentanyl. That number jumped to 90% in 2020 and 95% in 21, and that number is not going down. So what are the most actionable steps? Paula Blackman is here. She's the Dallas City Councilwoman representing District 9, and she's also- a mom of three in their 20s. And if you don't mind my saying so, it, it was your son who really brought you to the forefront of this issue. And he said what to you?
10: You are in a position to do something you need to do that. That and it was literally I'd get a text every week for almost nine months. And um, and I was like, what can I do? I, I this is new. Um it's really an international slash federal issue. But as I dug into it, there are things that we could do at a local level. And that's what we're trying to do.
4: Well, and I think I think this series, I know this series, Deadly Fake, goes to show the value of local journalism, mm-hmm. what local journalism can do to uncover the, the real stories of what's happening in our community and then you're in a position as a local legislator, even if it doesn't make a measurable distance right, a difference right away, to say we're here and we care about this and others will listen. Do you feel like you're getting cooperation city to county?
10: I do. Um, we brought together a strike force where uh, that is the, the sole Item that we're working on is that coordination and collaboration. And it's not just between two governments. It's also between our nonprofits. It's even departments within City Hall, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because we tend to work in silos. And so that's what the whole uh, idea was is county, what can we do to help you leverage? And what can we do that you can't do? And it's all about getting information. It's all about getting, uh, uh, all these uh, harm reduction. It's all about starting this conversation. I mean, information is power and we need that.
4: It is. And yet, Lil Brodsky in her interview, one of her many interviews with Sharon uh, Grigsby said, this is so pervasive, so big and doesn't often make a difference until it hit, hits home. I have to ask the question, how much more does it have to hit home and in whose home before it really makes a difference because we do draw lines do we not in terms of socioeconomically? well this group isn't as important as that group we have to look at every crisis as a human crisis correct
10: correct and we did that in the 80s with the crack uh, epidemic Right, right? right i mean it was uh oh it was an inner city thing and now that it is uh but you know what? I was 10 years old, right? When that was happening. And now I'm 50 in any life that goes, uh, without a, a, in a, in a harmful way, then we need to do something as a society, not just as a government, but as a society and push back and say no more.
4: Well, and if it's present anywhere, it can be present here everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, as a mother
10: mm-hmm.
4: with, you said 27,
10: 22,
4: 20, 20, 20, what do those conversations sound like <laughs> for you now with yeah. your 20 year old?
10: So uh, I make this joke, my 27 year old, I sent him off to tech with a box of condoms. And I sent my 19 year old to Arkansas with three boxes of Narcan. Mm. That, that's where we are. And so the conversation is, I don't care what you what somebody tells you about a pill. It's not what it is.
4: And Narcan is, we should say, the antidote, right? right. It's, it's what when, you administer when someone's had, had an overdose. Correct. Um, and, and I will say, as of today, this this taping sitting here, um, Dallas County Health and Human Services has come out with their new website, fentanyl, fightfentanyldc.com. We'll put it here at the bottom of the screen. I'll say it again, fightfentanyldc.com. And, and their work is greatly inspired by what you're doing at the City Council by what the Dallas Morning News has done with this series. And you say the DEA as well has a website yes. that you find to be a first step, a good first step right. for someone to One become pill informed. Can kill. OnePillCanKill.com. Mm-hmm.
10: And it's, um, it's a really good comprehensive uh, data uh, website and it's updated, I think the last was in July, so it's still fresh with good information.
4: So, you know, we identify many problems. And any solution to any problem, you know this, comes with a price tag. Mm-hmm. How much is it going to cost? Who's going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. What do those discussions sound like, even among the city council as it relates to this crisis in Dallas?
10: So we are getting settlement money. So it is it's money that's coming to the city as well that's coming to the county. And what we are looking to do is to leverage those dollars so that we're not duplicating efforts but we're also looking to leverage those dollars with our nonprofits so that way we can go after grant money. And so we are bringing in money into the region around this situation, but what we're trying to do is use it wisely and not duplicate, duplicate efforts. Mm -hmm. So that way information gets out, uh, harm reduction opportunities arise, uh, so that information and parents can be equipped with having those conversations with their children.
4: Where's the challenge in the learning curve? And by that, I mean, bringing people up to a place where the light bulb comes on, as it may be coming on with some folks here tonight, or people who are watching elsewhere on other platforms to go, oh, I didn't realize That's what this crisis now looks like.
10: Well, it's building the plane as you're flying it, right? And we're never going to get it perfect. And so we can't fret over, is it ready to go? You just have to go Mm -hmm. and make adjustments and know that along the way there are going to be some missteps. Mm -hmm. But it's okay because we are going to adapt and we're going to pivot and we're going to change. And Mm -hmm. so um, sometimes government gets stuck in uh, the bureaucratic mindset of some uh, you know, attorney or we've never done this before. And it's like, no, we're not doing that.
4: Well, it's, it's moving so fast and evolving so quickly. And that's the thing about the war on drugs. Look at how it's evolved. I some time ago covered college campuses where students with ADHD were giving their pills mm-hmm. to their to their classmates and I think that was a crisis then and it still is now and in, in yes. some circles it still is that pales in comparison to this because this is
10: well what's happening now is they're going on a social media and thinking they're getting ADHD exactly. ADHD they're median, getting and they're not it's not right it from is from a
4: diagnosis for, for ADHD they're getting Ritalin elsewhere and it's laced with fentanyl that is correct. Um Paula, we do have questions from the audience here. We know that. And our colleagues from KRLD, David Rankin and Kristen Diaz, are here. All right. Our first question is going to be
2: from uh, Keith Marks. Keith, if you'll step up here. Um, what is your question?
8: Uh, well, my question was um, what is the, uh, being a Christian, okay, um, what has the church, Big C Church, and that includes the formal organizations, Uh, individual uh, citizens and government officials that are uh, of the same faith, what are they doing to help the situation,
4: and what are they doing to harm the situation, make it worse? Oh, I love to bring religion into any discussion. We've talked about, we mentioned condoms. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, but no, there is, you know, and I should say that, that a woman in the back said the fentanyl strips, the testing strips, don't always work. They're not 100% accurate. Correct. Agreed and correct, but it's something and it's better than nothing, right? A condom may not always work either, as we know. Again, not to keep that analogy going, but <laughs> we do attach morality to both of right. those discussions. The question, though, about church, it's interesting. As a resource in the community, they have a captive audience, Right what they preach oftentimes becomes the word that's spread. Correct. What does that relationship look like for you?
10: So I think what we need to look at in the church is a conduit for information to a community, but with no judgment, right? And to say that, uh, I mean, when, when individuals do turn to an illicit drug, they have something going on. There's anxiety or there's depression or they need to sleep. And so, what we could use is. Or they've
4: just become addicted.
10: Or they've just become addicted. Become addicted addicted
4: through some means. Maybe it started out as pain management and it turned. And then it turned. Right.
10: And so, what we can do is use churches as a way to bring individuals together to get help. Because uh, we talk about tackling the supply side of this, but the demand side needs to be dealt with too. And coming out of a pandemic, we all feel, we are feeling anxiety. We had loneliness for a long time. And those are the at the intersection of, of addiction. And so uh, I see churches as an opportunity to talk about mental health, to talk about resources in which to uh, have self-care, to look at harm reduction and to say, it is okay to ask for help. It is okay for you to seek um. To seek uh, medical advice, professional medical mm-hmm. advice. And what you're feeling is not something that is out of the ordinary. And and churches can do that without judgment.
9: All right. We have uh, one more question also from Mark Kanais. And he's the director of student formation at Jesuit College Prep. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Oh, I
2: appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, educators are trying to do their part
4: as well, so thanks for doing this uh, tonight. My question is, uh, and it's been said before, that teenagers don't always make the best decisions, they experiment. So beyond the pills, uh, vape pens, e-cigarettes, is law enforcement finding fentanyl in such devices that are so attractive to teenagers?
10: Hey, Mark. It's good to see you. Our, uh, son, my son was actually at Jesuit. It's, it's, it's Aaron who actually said, do something. And so uh, um, and that's why I got involved. I would assume, I mean, we don't when we talk to our enforcement, I don't go in and ask what is in every situation that they uh, that they look at. But I would assume fentanyl is in everything. And I would assume that um, that it's not just it it could be laced. I mean, it is not. Um, it, it, it is everywhere, and I would assume that it is in, in every uh, kid's um, phone. I'm sure they've gotten a, a text saying, "Hey, do you do you need an Adderall?" So um, I don't know of anything actually being in the vape pen that they can get, like at a Seven Eleven or whatnot. But I would assume that if they're buying it in an illicit way, it's going to have it.
2: One more question that we wanted to bring. If you if you step up here, hi. What's
0: your name? Uh, Stephanie Helstern.
2: Okay, Stephanie, what's your question?
0: Um, so I have been on this journey a little bit longer. Um, I dealt with this right during the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, lost my only son, Kyle. So I have been, um, to say most of the parents I know here, I do know. Um, I first just started at schools and churches. Mm-hmm. Most people want to act like it wasn't happening there. Um, my son's own school would neither. And so I started North Texas Fentanyl Coalition. And exactly what you're saying is what I'm trying to do. It takes all of us. I've been rallying for three years since this has happened. Even went to Washington, D.C. A lot of us here have gone. Um, so it's just the biggest. And
4: frustrating, right, that this you lost someone.
0: Yes. And, um, and
4: no one seemed to care?
0: No. It took maybe a month or so to be like, here's the three things to do. But nobody's giving PSAs, talking about it. Mm-hmm. Most of us, you can ask in this room right now, we've given our own money. Um, it took me to start a nonprofit. Finally, we got Governor Abbott. We did a, a panel down his twice. It sucks that it's like another person we lost, and it, it happens to them. Mm-hmm. And then they get involved. I got to say that I'm finally glad after three years, um, you, y'all all saw, finally we have laws passed. My son's case was immediately closed, acted like he was addict. He wanted to buy weed that day, and all his friend had was a Percocet. I hear those stories over and over, and so when I get the next parent, I'm like, "Here's the process. Let's go Mm -hmm. through it." And we try to fight. um, And I'm glad that there's laws and things are happening, but I'll be honest, I have not had many politicians actually on my side. They won't show up at the rallies. It's mainly us parents. Okay, I'm gonna hold you to that. And um, that's my next thing is it's getting all the people together and um, segregating it out to all the areas that are actually doing the things that we Mm -hmm. need to um, because. It's nice that we all have our little organizations, but we all need to be coming together because like my big idea is and this is we have different areas doing things. But like, OK, you're having an event there. Let's all go to your event. Right, right. Let's all go over there. OK, go over there. That way we're not taking from all the resources and things. We're actually working together. So I'm so glad. Let me just say that. I'm glad I'm here. I'm trying not to get emotional because I'm actually finally I feel like God was telling me is start in your own city and it'll, the people will just come. So I want to say
10: to all the parents and families that have lost a loved one, my heart goes out to you. I mean, I, I applaud you for standing and having courage to tell your story because it's the stories that motivate us to, to change. And uh, we were in Austin. We, uh, I testified a lot on this, and uh, the testing strips are stuck, but we're taking it at the federal level. And harm reduction is a way to help individuals. So don't give up. And you've got two of us on Dallas City Council that are continuing to walk alongside you uh, because um, I don't want another child to go.
4: Well, thank you you. for sharing your story. And and I hope you all know that this news organization, the Dallas Morning News, is not going to stop reporting on it either. And the strides you all are making and the work you do. And and hopefully by amplifying that, you'll get the support you need. Paula, thank you. Paula Blackman from the Dallas City Council. Thanks to our audience members for being here. And when we come back, the Dallas Morning News executive editor, Catrice Hardy, is back here on stage debriefing with two of the reporters who spent countless hours and weeks bringing this series to print. And more on how the Dallas Morning News is taking the lead to find a solution.
2: Deadly Fake, available in the Odyssey app at KRLD.com and more next on News Radio 1080 KRLD.
8: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
4: This is the News Radio 1080 KRLD special presentation. As we continue our discussion around the Dallas Morning News series Deadly Fake, you've probably gathered that our children are at great risk. So the DMN will distribute 100,000 copies of Deadly Fake to more than 430 Dallas County schools, reaching middle schoolers and their families. It's an effort made possible because of a partnership with Dallas County Health and Human Services. Executive Editor Catrice Hardy is here now to lead a discussion with reporters Claire Baller and Maggie Prosser to go behind the scenes on their reporting and discuss what more can be done to save our kids. Catrice,
1: Ron, thank you so much. I would love to begin our conversation, Claire and Maggie, with asking you to share one fact that you unearthed that shocked you about the impact of fentanyl in our region. You know, I'll say the.
7: That- When I've been asked this question, which I've been asked it a lot since taking on this project, um, to me, the the most shocking thing, it it happened right at the beginning of, of doing this reporting for this project, was really coming to grips with the very different realities that so many people in our community are living. It was shocking to realize how many people have been really horrifically impacted by this drug. And simultaneously, how many people have no idea that it even exists in legitimate medical settings, let alone in illegal ones as well. And so once I really realized that, that kind of brought this gravity to the work that um, I was doing on this project of, you know, feeling this overwhelming sense of responsibility to do what I could to close some of that divide of those, those very different realities that that people are and have been living in North Texas for, for a while.
6: I um, did a ride along with a paramedic in Tarrant County, and I was asking him, you know, why do you use fentanyl in ambulances versus some other pharmaceutical opioids? He was like, well, you know, we've tried morphine, and the side effects with some of those other drugs are so much worse for people. So when you have a broken bone, Morphine takes longer to kick in. People feel grogier afterwards. Fentanyl uh, is has shorter effects for people, so they snap out of it quicker. So in those uh, hospital and emergency settings, it's very very effective for people in severe amounts of pain. And I want to add to um, a myth that I really like focused on in my reporting. And oftentimes you don't find people who are seeking out fentanyl specifically. Oftentimes it's someone who has been introduced to opioids before and more and more the heroin or whatever their drug of choice is, is being adulterated with fentanyl now and they inadvertently get hooked on it. Um, That's the case with the woman I met for the Project Brooklyn who we reported on. She was addicted to heroin she inadvertently started taking fentanyl and it was all that she sought out from there on out. So we really have to, you know, seek help for those people too, who are inadvertently getting addicted to this drug.
1: So we've talked a lot about 20 year olds and young people um, who uh, make unusual or and for them it's not unusual, but stupid choices is what I think I've heard. Is there a different conversation that we should be having with middle schoolers?
6: Um, well, uh, I spent time in the high school, but I will say across the board, you know, you have those conversations early on with your kid about don't take a pill from a stranger, um, whether it's Tylenol, ibuprofen up to a Percocet. And obviously older kids have a better understanding of what a Percocet is compared to your 13 year old. Um, but yeah, I, I think that those conversations just like sex, education they vary just depending on your your age and comprehension i think something that that i learned
7: in reporting on this that is so important for people to let kids know too is to not take a pill from even someone that you know well but you don't know where that pill came from because we see this we've we've heard many stories of this happening too where someone Uh, Took a pill from a very trusted friend or a family member and even that person who gave it to them had no idea what was actually in it, that it was fentanyl. And so I think that that's a critical part of the conversation too is that unless this is a medication that has your name on it or your parent gave it to you from an ibuprofen bottle or something, don't take it.
1: Very good advice. And I think, you know, one of the things we wanted to do was end the series not just with information but hope Um and I I think that you guys did a really good job of ending the series with the story of a young family and Claire, I know you spent a lot of time um a woman who just had a baby um and was afraid the baby would be addicted to fentanyl. Um is there any update um about them? So that
7: story was on a woman named Naya. Um, she became addicted to fentanyl from taking what she thought were Percocets. And it wasn't um, until years into her addiction that she learned that she had actually been taking fentanyl the whole time. Um, And and she discovered that um, not long after became pregnant and was battling her addiction. She um, and her baby are doing well. Um, She's Learning how to be a mom, which is not easy, um, but she's also learning how to do that while um, staying strong in her sobriety. And um, her story just really highlights the the long journey that people have ahead of them when you know you've overcome a really highly addictive substance like that. Anyone who's who's dealt with addiction, I think, knows how difficult that part of the journey is too. But um, she's has a healthy very happy baby boy
1: and, and they're doing well. Thank you both so much. Thank you to Sharon as well who got us inside Parkland and some of those other places where it's really difficult um, under really trying circumstances. Thank you guys. I'll toss it back over to you, Ron.
4: Thank you all. And you know, for as much information as we've as we've brought to bear here today and as, as much as is contained in the Deadly Fake series, we still have questions from our audience. I know you have a question, ma'am, if you don't mind um, standing up. What's your name?
3: I'm um, Jerry Horton
4: and what's your question?
3: Um, so first I want to say thank you for everything that you guys have done to bring awareness to the fentanyl crisis. Um, so I am a mother. I did lose my 23-year-old daughter in 2021 to fentanyl poisoning. Um, she was a drug user, um, but she did take something that she thought was an Oxycontin, and it was actually fentanyl. Um, and I am also the president of Texas Against Fentanyl of Collin County. We just started a pod here. Um, some of my fellow members are here as well. Um, so our goal is to raise awareness and, and spread education about fentanyl, mostly into the school system. Um, how big of a role does the stigma about drug use play in the response to the fentanyl crisis? Massive. Yeah. Um,
7: you know, one thing that has really been eye opening to me is that, you know, pe- people have asked me, are is there hope? Are we making progress? And I think things are moving in the right direction, but that's largely because of people like you. It is because of families who have lost someone and are simultaneous, simultaneously juggling their grief and coming to lawmakers and trying to make things happen. And I think that's largely because of a lot of the stigma that surrounds this issue. And people are afraid to learn more about it or afraid to speak up about it for fear that they could be judged or a family member could be judged. And I think as long as that persists, we're going to have a really hard time actually making serious headway. Yeah. And it's actually
3: something I struggled with. So it took me a year before I would speak publicly about it. And it was for the things that you just said, I didn't want my daughter's name to be out there with that type of stigma attached to it. But I also didn't want people to judge me as well. And then I started hearing of more people Dying from it, and I knew that my daughter would want me to speak up, and she would want me to fight for that.
7: Thank you for sharing thank your you, story. Thank you. And the reality thank you.
3: is, is that this work that we did
7: would not have been possible without people like you. It, it wouldn't have, and and so I'm grateful to
4: to you for for sharing. Let me ask you something. What does this mean to you for this news organization of such legend to spend the kind of time to uncover this and unearth? so much of what we don't know about it and maybe help you deal with some of that unfair stigma that's attached to move forward on your journey has do you feel like it's helping
3: i definitely feel like it's helping i think because now more people are aware There's still so many people that aren't, but it makes it so much easier for us when we go into the community. We now have people coming to us, asking us to come and talk. When we've been fighting for a year to be able to get into the schools and to get into the community to talk, now people are coming to us and it's largely a part to the awareness that you guys are bringing as well at the larger scale. So again, we are extremely grateful for everything that you guys have done to help us in our fight. Because while it's a community issue, it's especially important to us that we don't see any other children die.
6: I wouldn't have ever guessed how pervasive the fentanyl issue is in Texas if I had not sat down with each of you in your homes and, like, listened to your stories and decided to, like, educate myself and, like, open my, as Lael said, my underdeveloped 24-year-old prefrontal (laughs) cortex and decided (laughs) to, like, learn something. So, yeah, it's been... Tragically beautiful, but I appreciate all of you for coming.
4: Thank you. Beautiful words. Really appreciate it. And we're going to be back with some final thoughts.
2: You're listening to Deadly Fake on News Radio 1080 KRLD. If you missed any portion of this special presentation or you want to share it with other parents and friends, it's available now in the Odyssey app at KRLD.com and at DallasNews.com. Thank you to the Dallas Morning News for the collaboration with News Radio 1080 KRLD.
1: As we wrap up our discussion tonight, I can't emphasize enough how thankful we are to have you join us. Claire, Sharon, and Maggie were bulldogish about this purpose and the mission of deadly Faith. If everyone who reads this series and watches this discussion walks away with a new understanding of how dangerous this drug is, if you talk to a child or a parent or a colleague or just one friend about fentanyl, if these stories lead to more programs and money to protect us from the drug, then every minute we've devoted to this coverage will be worth it. Our hope is that you will continue to help us educate and inform others. Please continue to talk to your kids and friends. Share our resource guide at your workplaces and your community events. We're so grateful for your help and your support.
4: And I'm so grateful for this series and and the work that you did and the response that it's received. And I, th- I think a good final note here is just to stress once again the importance um, of local journalism. And, and there, there's nothing that's happened more recently that stands as an example of that um, than this series. What is that like for you?
1: I think it's gratifying because we we just work so tirelessly to save lives. Mm. And the stories that so many of you shared with us tonight, um, to me, it shows that what we do matters. That's why we get up early. That's why we hear have people yell and scream at us sometimes when they're angry about decisions we make. It's for the purpose of helping y'all. And so we really appreciate this.
4: Catrice, thank you. you. Really, thank you. Catrice Hardy, um, executive editor of the Dallas Morning News. Thank all of you as well. Thanks to you for being here and and for sharing your stories. And we hope that you find this useful as well. Remember your source, dallasnews.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you.